Hi, this is Leah. And this is Channing. And you've reached Vessel, Art is a Doorway. Welcome to Prelude number two. Well, we want to welcome you to Prelude number two. In this episode, we're going to focus in on how art has stimulated the economy. And really, despite whatever time period we're living in, whether it be a good time or even a bad time, art can have a very positive impact on the community. So today, we're going to dig in deep on how art has affected not only the economy, the community, but how it's also had an emotional impact on many people. Now, Leah, I remember just recently, we just read a book uh, by Lynn Bassa, and she, she, in this book on public art, she made mention of the Chicago Millennial Project. Uh, what were some of the things that you thought uh, that really stood out in that, that book? Well, I'm not sure if um, you remember anything about the Millennial Park, but it's supposed to be, it's a really amazing place where they have interactive sculptures, artists design gardens, there's places for performances. Of course, there's like an ice skating rink, restaurants. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are in this park and it's on people's to-do lists. Like if you go to Chicago, that is like one of the things to do. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of times when people go to visit parks like that, they don't really think about what it really took or how it came to be. They just demonstrate on a grand scale how art can benefit people. All right, so I'm about to give you guys a lot of numbers. I hope I don't lose you. But the only reason I'm mentioning the numbers is because I really feel like the numbers indicate that people are willing to give to have these experiences for themselves and with their family. People are deriving real benefit from these projects. And that's why I think Lynn Bassa mentions the Millennial Park in, in her book about public art under the section, why does the government buy art? So the initial investment was a lot of money. It was 220 million in private donations and 270 million from the city of Chicago. And even though that seems like a lot of money, they estimated that visitor spending would add up to 2.6 billion annually by 2015. But they vastly underestimated the response of not only the community, but people who would come to visit Chicago. Because by 2014, the annual estimated gross sales from visitor spending attributable to Millennial Park was $1.2 Whoa, $1.2 That's crazy. I'm not even going to do the math on that. That, that. That's just bananas. Right, because originally they thought that only 3 million people would visit every year. But by 2016, in the last six months of 2016, they had 12.9 million visitors. And that's not even counting all of the businesses that went up, the apartment buildings, all the things that happened so that people could live and work close to Millennial Park. And one of the interesting about this things about this project in comparison to some other public art projects is that the artists were given freedom and the budget to really do their best work. And you can really see that when you look at videos of people who go to the Millennial Park and really interact with a lot of the works that are up there. 
And even though I'm mentioning a lot of numbers again, I really like the way Lynn Bassa really explains why talking about the numbers is important for certain people, especially considering her wealth of experience in public art. She mentions that just counting, just remember that counting dollars and feet are the easiest way to quantify the success of any particular project in order to justify the expenditure of public funds. In other words, by counting dollars and feet, that just is an expression of how people are really being moved by the work, them wanting to come see the work, them really wanting to support and them by giving their money is just them wanting to be there and supporting the work and having this beautiful experience for themselves and with their family. Yeah, that's some really good research, Leah. And getting back to the humanity of things, just thinking about all the families that are going to be able to go to these parks and play with their kids, imagining the kids being able to run around and get their feet wet in the grass. Exactly right. That 13, almost 13 million people mentioned in that particular statistic. Imagine how many tiny little feet are like running around in fountains and all the pictures that are being taken and all the memories being made. There's no way to really quantify how meaningful and how important and what that does for the people and the domino effect that it's going to have in their lives and then and not in the, the local community there in Chicago, but even around the world. And it's interesting that certain corporations, they may artificially try to imitate something like this or try to break it down into science and mm. just like insert anybody. They'll try to treat it kind of like, you know, maybe like somebody would treat a factory where, okay, we have the formula. Now let's just insert anybody and let's see if we can kind of recreate that. And it just doesn't always work. It has to come from a genuine place. And that's the thing with the artists that were given the freedom and the money to do this work. I feel like a lot of the projects were things that they really help people to connect to others. And it's just... It's done for the people visiting to have a certain type of experience. And um, the money that is spent, the money, all of these things in this instance reflect a lot of the emotional experience that they're having themselves or and with their family or loved ones and friends. And you know, that really reminds me, every time I come home from work uh, here in the Arts District, driving down the Alameda and seeing this beautiful piece of art. Uh, Royal Dog just recently put up a mural of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Now, audience, we know if you're listening uh, to this podcast, maybe in the future, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and nine other passengers just recently passed away in a helicopter crash. You, you probably remember this. And the emotional impact that is having on the city of Los Angeles is so big. Now, for myself personally, I was a big fan of uh, Kobe Bryant. I'm not so much of a fan of the Lakers. Yes, I'm a Knicks fan. Many of you guys are probably going to hear about that. Yes, I'm a loser. Oh, well. But one thing about Kobe Bryant is that I really respected his style and I respected his game so much. I remember just seeing him, uh, some of the things that he would do before games. He would stay up like for hours. He would, he would arrive like three, four hours early and just practice. He had so much class. And just to see this mural being put up by Royal Dog is amazing. People are standing across the street taking pictures. And when you think about that, it's almost like they're having closure. 
And Leah, how have you seen this in your uh, projects that you work on? Well, one of the ones that stands out in my mind is one of the murals that I happen to do with um, Angel City Brewery and ArtShare LA. What it was is I did a mural, and since it was in conjunction with a live event, I decided to add a interactive component. And the reason is because a lot of the art that I work with deals with letting go of things that we can't do anything about so we can really focus on the people precious to us, especially with public art. And so the interactive component that I added was to take an eggshell with the yolk emptied out. And um, what I did was I filled that empty eggshell with a food-based pigment powder. And what I had people to do was the first 150 people that came to the event, they were able to write a worry that they had or a concern, just something that was fresh on their mind. Then they were able to throw it at the wall that I was painting on. So in effect, they were able to let that worry go. So it was really beautiful because as they let go of their worries, these beautiful puffs of colored smoke filled the air. The pigment that was left on the wall, I incorporated into the mural painting. And so it was, picture itself was a consoling portrait. And after hearing the conversations people had, after they finished throwing away their worries, um, a lot of people mentioned how cathartic this process was. I mean, they did it. They picked up the egg at first just to enjoy, just to be a part of the experience. But then actually having had thrown away their worry against the wall, they talked about how cathartic it was. And so after hearing some of those conversations, I decided to call the, the portrait or the consoling portrait that I painted Bridge. We had uh, some uh, really famous Instagrammers uh, come and I had the privilege of actually taking some of the pictures of that event. Who were those girls again? Yeah, it was the Dining Dolls. Oh, yeah, it was the Dining Dolls. Yeah, and I remember they allowed their kids to pick up one of the eggs and throw it up against the wall and seeing uh, the little kids' expression as they could actually break something. And they just rejoiced after they did it. One of the managers at the time, he was pacing back and forth, and he, he kept saying to himself, man, I really have to do it. Eventually, once he got the time to do it, uh, just seeing the expression on his face when he threw that egg up against the wall, it was really amazing. Yeah, it was pretty powerful experience, even though it was in a casual setting and all of us were having fun because as everyone was letting go of their worries it was like we were all building something lovely together during that process and it reminds me of a TED talk that we were just watching recently about Jane Golden now Jane Golden she graduated from Stanford but she moved to LA and she painted over 50 murals while she was living in LA but shortly after that she moved over to the city of Philadelphia and she joined up with uh, Mayor Wilson Good. And back in 1986, now graffiti was covered all over many of the walls in Philadelphia and the city wanted to do something about it. So what they did was Jane Golden helped commission some of the artists to actually create murals all throughout the city of Philadelphia. And one of the first murals that they did back in 1989 was that of Dr. J. Now everybody knows Dr. J. Uh, here he is in his suit. He looks extremely handsome. And even to this day, everybody knows that Dr. J is the man, right? But what they thought was in 1989, when they actually had this 
artist be commissioned to put up this mural, they thought that many people were going to come and actually vandalize the mural shortly afterwards. But they were wrong because that mural is still up to this day. Can you imagine 30 years later, that mural is still up. That makes sense because of the respect that they had for him and for him to be represented like that. Yeah. Who's going to who's going to vandalize that? Yeah, no. And they had some really interesting statistics in one interview with Jane Golden. Now, check this out. During that time, there were a lot of bus tours going into the city of Philadelphia just to view the murals. One statistic alone really proved the point that one bus tour that actually went through in the city of Philadelphia to view uh, some of the murals, there were 15,000 people that came to see those murals. Can you imagine? Just one bus tour, 15,000 people. And out of that 15,000 people, 65% of them actually stayed in the city. And they went to many of the stores and boutiques and restaurants. So just think about all the money that actually was given to the city of Philadelphia by just having some of these murals that were, were created. And one of the interesting things I thought, about 10 years later, Jane Golden, she started up a new program called the Mural Arts Program, and 4,000 murals were actually put up with this program that she created. Now, one of the interesting things about Jane Golden, when she was actually creating creating opportunities for artists, it actually helped employ a lot of people, so it created jobs for a lot of people um, in Philadelphia. Now, the community got inspired by seeing all of these murals that were going up. And one of the things that was discussed is that the more representation when you have some of these murals that are actually going up, it shines a light on a city's diversity. I know, I remember listening to a TED talk that she did and it's like you see these murals around the city and sometimes you don't realize the type of effort that goes into making them and one of the things she mentioned with her mural the mural arts program is that they knocked on people's doors and they asked them what they needed and what they cared about and the thing is is that the people that they talked to, they of course they didn't mention art, but they talked about the fact that they needed jobs. They talked about things that they cared about in their community and things that they were worried about when it came to their family, the values of the community. And so they took those things that people cared about and they represented and embodied those values in art. And what that did is it made those people, the people in those communities feel like their lives counted, like they were being represented in their communities. And it led to a lot of these jobs. It led to economic growth and stimulating a, a tighter, a feeling of a, a tighter knit community in those areas. And so that is the beautiful thing. It's not, it's the fact that these pictures on these walls in the community, they have so much more significance than just the art that's there and the money that goes into making those things happen comes back and then some. Yeah, and I know in this particular episode, we're talking about Philadelphia, but there's been evidence to actually support the fact that projects like these internationally have been done. Uh, for instance, in Switzerland, Paris, London, Atlanta, Africa, you name it. Uh, many cities have actually benefited from having projects like this. That's so true, and it really shows how this is really a human thing. It's not just a cultural thing. And there's an organization called Americans for the Arts, and what they do is they research the 
economic benefits that arts programs have on the economy. And one of the things that they talked about is the fact that travelers spend more money and stay longer in areas that have murals. It also helps improve something called broken windows theory. What the broken windows theory is, is that like if there's an abandoned building, somebody throws a rock through it and breaks one of the windows, then more likely more people will come and like break more windows. So the theory is that areas with less traffic that aren't maintained well will be more likely areas where there will be more crime. But there's a growing body of evidence that shows that murals that are put in some of those areas reverse that broken windows theory. So it makes that location feel cared for, which makes uh, crimes like vandalism, illegal dumping, robbery, drug use, those things, those types of things that are crimes of opportunity are less likely to happen. Also, art has the ability to allow us to see a portion of history that, that not necessarily may have always been revealed. I agree. It's like, especially with murals and even visiting museums, there, there can be like little clues that highlight the untold histories of a time period or of a culture. And here we're, we're talking about emotions and art. You know, it really reminds me of one of the discussions that we had with Randy Matushevich. Yeah, it totally reminds me of the interview we had with Randy, too. In fact, audience, so in this episode, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be letting you hear a few clips of the fascinating interviews that we've had with collectors and a few of the artists for this season. Even though we're talking about public art in the beginning part of this episode, of course, the same experience is being had by people inside of their home. Exactly. Notice what Randy has to say. She recently was involved with an exhibit at Los Angeles Art Fair, and she had an encounter with one of the guests that came into her booth. Notice what she had to say. However, that being said, it was the appreciation. The Mm -hmm. girl who at the end of the art fair, the last day, the last bell, everyone please, you know, very politely close up your deals and leave. (laughs) They say it nicer than that. (laughs) Um, But we all know what it means. And she came running over and she was crying. And she was in her early 20s and she's only lived in Los Angeles a few months. And something in the way I talked about the work, making a connection in this false sense of 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 connection this disconnected digital ai kind of environment that's sneaking up on us more and more it's not like i'm getting to look at four eyeballs right now it's so (laughs) exciting you know um and i can memorize faces and it's just like what i'm into that thing that makes us all human forever but this girl who had to come back had i i didn't know what to do i was so stunned blown away stunned and I wanted to just hug her I took a lot of pictures of her yeah I really can't wait to release that interview with Randy Uh, she's such a magnificent person I really enjoyed sitting down and getting a chance to visit her studio and see some of our art it was really very 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 beautiful to, to, to see in person you know just thinking about a lot of the conversations that we're talking about about how emotional a piece of artwork is I think back to about maybe three or four years ago recently my mom passed away and this is something that really stays uh, close to my heart because I'll never forget when I was given a phone call 
uh, to see my mom. And after her death, I came into the room and I just wanted to hold her hand for one last time. And I remember sitting down close to her bed, just holding her hand and the memories that I had with her just started to come up. And I'll never forget just sitting in that chair, looking around her room and seeing the artwork that she had created. That moment will always stay with me. You know, before my mom had passed about eight or nine years ago, she started taking up painting. Our family at the time, when she first started, we didn't really think much of it. But as time started to progress, my mom started getting really good at some of her paintings. And people started to purchase her paintings. As a matter of fact, she even had some in a few restaurants. And I was so proud as a child of seeing her make a success out of what she was creating. And I'll never forget sitting there holding her hand. And the impact that the art was having on me at the time was really profound. It was like the art was soothing me. And shortly afterwards, a few years later, I went to go visit my brother in Arkansas. And he took me around the beautiful city of Arkansas. I loved it. But when he took me home with him, the first thing is he opened up the door. The first thing I saw was this beautiful painting sitting in front of me. It was a painting that my mom had created years before of a very curvy woman. And moments like that are really difficult to explain because that was like a tangible example of her personality coming out. And when I saw that painting of that curvy woman in that dress, that's a moment in my life that I'll never forget. So that's one of the things that we're going to dig in deep into this podcast. We're going to talk about the emotional impact that art, music, poetry, literature, what have you, what type of impact does it have on us in our lives? I know exactly which painting you're talking about. I love that painting. I feel like it really embodies the personality of your mom as well. And that's one of the beautiful things I think that art can do. It can be a, a vessel of time travel. And I think that's why so many people love Eric Joyner's work. In fact, when we were interviewing him, he had some really interesting things to say about how he came up with his theme of robots and donuts. Um, obviously donuts are delicious, mm-hmm. but <laughs> besides that, do you have like any particular memories or? I do. You know, when I was, a, I have actually, this is a true story. I remember foggy days in San Mateo. I'd meet my friend from across the street. I was five years old and out of the fog, this truck would pull up and it was a donut truck and they sold donuts. My mom would give me some change to get a donut. I was like the glazed, the glazed were the best. <laughs> so, so, so is it a thing of maybe, um, you know, you thinking about your mom giving you the money to get the donuts and it's probably the excitement of getting that donut, putting it in your mouth and swallowing. <laughs> you know what I think maybe it was? It was like the first uh, opportunity to be free to, to get out of the house you know, on my own without supervision. So that's, uh, that, that's why I remember it so well.
We also had the opportunity to interview Thomas Storson, who happens to refer to himself as a reluctant collector. He has acquired many of Eric Joyner's pieces along with many other artists, and it was really interesting hearing him talk about what it was like to live with one of the darker pieces he owns by Mark Bryant. You guys will really enjoy his whole interview, but for now, just listen to this clip. Yeah, the painting that we're talking about is is called Republic of Amnesia, and it's a painting by Mark Bryan. And um, I thought it was, I remember seeing it and I thought, oh, this is a, a really terrific painting. It's scary, and it's sort of oozes of doom, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's really good. And I remember buying it uh, at a pretty fair price, and then I didn't have the guts or the, uh, I didn't have the nerve to actually hang it in view i felt it was so powerful mm-hmm. it, it set the mood in the house so much so it took me about two years before i could take it out of the middle room and actually hang it up on the wall and even to this day it doesn't hang on the wall where let's <laughs> say if it's in view if you're watching television for the reason that it's so grim mm-hmm. but it's so good mm-hmm. i don't know how to explain it beyond that really <laughs> This is one of the main purposes in our um, our podcast. Uh, we hope that by you listening to this podcast, that somehow it will enrich uh, enriching uh, your life. Is that a word? Enriching? Goodness, enrich. We hope that it will enrich your life. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm silly. We really do hope that it it fuels your inspiration and your creativity. It helps uh, stimulate your relationship with others, improves uh, the community, and um, yeah, we just love doing this. And also, I just like just creating a dialogue. I feel like as, as a person who creates, it's just really exciting. The reason why we get into art is not really for, it's just because we want to help others. Like we may do it for ourselves, but we really, really being able to share it with others is like the most fulfilling thing about it. So I really love hearing from other people who are different from me, like why they love art and why how they enjoy it. I just think that there's, again, such power there that I think as we explore and talk to each other about it, we'll be able to heighten our experiences that we have with it and be able to kind of refine how we use art and how we can help each other, help our kids, help the communities that we live in with this. Yeah. And, and thank you, everyone, for listening in once again. If you really enjoy this podcast, if you could, uh, please uh, hit the subscribe button and whatever device that you're using, whether it be Google Play, Spotify, let us know if you could um, in the show's notes. Let us know how you feel about uh, some of the subjects and the content that we're talking about in this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Leah, did you have any closing thoughts? Again, we don't want to just hear ourselves speak. Send us a message, text, or like an audio message even, and let us know what you guys think again. Thank you again for listening to us, and we can't wait to talk to you. All right, all right. A special thanks to all of you listeners, but also special uh, thanks to uh, DJ Wonderboy for providing the music for this podcast. Thanks for listening in to Vessel, Art is a Doorway.
Thank you.